Denne udsendelse er produceret af Jeppe Højberg Sørensen og udgivet i samarbejde med Mediano. God fornøjelse. I 2015 blev der pludselig sat spørgsmålstegn ved hakkeordnen i international fodbold. For med indkøb af Oscar Ramirez og ikke mindst en argentinsk Bullerbasse. Hundreds of Shanghai Shenhua fans gathered at Pudong International Airport on Thursday to welcome Carlos Tevez, the club's new marquee signing. Ja, der lagde Kina så nu ud med sportens vanlige stormagter. When President Xi Jinping, himself a big football fan, says he wants China to hold the 2030 World Cup, everyone is on board. Det gav dengang anledning til bekymringsrynker hos professoren og Arsenal-træneren Wenger. Should the Premier League be worried about the, the drain of European talent to China? Yes, of course. Men i dag, omtrent syv år efter, at Kommunistpartiet præsenterede sin pompøse fodboldplan, ja, så er der vist ikke så meget at være bekymret for længere. For nu er stjernerne rejst, landsholdet har endnu engang misset sin VM-kvalifikation, og den kinesiske Super League befinder sig i økonomisk uføre. We begin with the Chinese Super League's defending champions Jiangsu Suning, who have announced that the club will stop all operations. Sammen med den skarpeste vestlige stemme på kinesisk fodbold, Cameron Wilson, zoomer denne udgave af Depeche ind på det kinesiske fodboldeventyrs rette afslutning og på hvordan spillet blev en del af Xi Jinping's magtspil. Både på godt men hvis den mest er alt på ondt. So, this is a thing, I mean, whatever happens at the top in China, it trickles down to everything. Velkommen til The Page her på Mediano Sport og Perspektiv. Mit navn er Jeppe Højberg Sørensen. Ja, som sagt er denne uges gæst Cameron Wilson. Og som du måske allerede kunne fornemme på dialekten, så er Cameron for Skotland, nærmere bestemt for Edinburgh-forstaden Dunfermline, eller retter. Dunfermline. Måske ikke ligefrem en by, der vækker genkendelse på vores side af Nordsøen. Men et lille adelsmærke har byen dog. Nemlig, at den lagde græs til, da selveste Sir Alex Ferguson gjorde sig som måltyv i 1960'erne. Ferguson har scoret. Men da Cameron i slutningen af 90'erne færdiggør sine studier, beslutter han sig for at forlade både Skotland og sine barndomsbaner for at tage et år ud af kalenderen og sætte sig på en flyvemaskine med destinationen Kina. Egentlig bare for at hive et år ud af kalenderen, og i hvert fald slet ikke for at beskæftige sig med fodbold. Men sådan blev det så alligevel. Being a big football fan, I just wanted to check out the local game, and um, I went and watched uh, Shanghai Shenhua. And after that, I, I just was really taken away. I was blown away by the fans. The fans were really passionate. And as I got as I got to know the fans more, I got to know of China through football because it was like a common language. So it was a really quite an interesting journey for me. And uh, the more I kind of got into it, the more I got closer to fans and journalists who follow the sport and got to really understand it. And um, i started a website. I'm actually a journalist by trade originally. I started a website um, about 10 years ago. Basically, the website got quite well known, and I was the only person out there writing about Chinese football. So I started getting quoted by all the 
kind of the top world media, which was I thought it was quite funny because I never imagined I'd be the the go-to guy for international media in China. Så nu bliver Camerons hjemmebrygget nyhedssite Wild East Football pludselig citeret over alt i verden af The Guardian, Der Spiegel, Wall Street Journal og så videre. Og det sker nok ikke mindst fordi at der i de her år i slutningen af nullerne og starten af tierne begynder at opstå en slags kultur for kinesisk fodbold. Chinese football culture is it's hard to put a finger on it. Right, there's been football in China for quite a long time. Uh, there was amateur football from around the 50s, but then China suffered a lot through different political upheavals and uh, things like the Cultural Revolution and whatnot. So football was put on hold. But it was basically professionalization came in 1994, and since then there's been like a really, a, say, a fairly good supporter culture has developed since then. You know, some of the more long-standing Chinese teams like Beijing Guan, Shanghua, Shandong, some of the teams which have been around for a long time, they've got really, really good fan bases, really passionate fans. Uh, and they're just as they're just as passionate and crazy about their team as fans back in Europe. But of course, basically football has struggled really badly to go beyond something which is basically a subculture in China. Trods fremskridtene og tilskuertal på den gode side af de 40.000, så er kinesisk fodbold altså stadig en subkultur. For i verdens folkerigeste land gør tilskuere i tusindvis nemlig ingen begivenhed til et populært fænomen. Men som det første gang åbenbares i 2015, så er det lige netop, hvad den kinesiske regering ønsker, at fodbolden skal blive til. Et populært fænomen, der skal sparke Kina ind i det internationale fodboldhierarki, og dermed sikre nationen sejren i civilisationernes stadig hårde kamp om den bløde magt. For her i 2015 annoncerer Kinas kommunistparti nemlig sin store reformplan for fodbolden. President Xi Jinping, well he is firmly focused on China's future. He wants the country to be a global leader in football, hosting and winning World Cups. Og planen, den skal ifølge førende eksperter altså ikke lige frem ses som et direkte udtryk for præsidentens selverklærede kærlighed til fodbolden. For som eksempelvis den britiske professor i global sport Simon Chadwick har berettet så er fodbolden nok snarere et middel end et mål for Xi Jinping, der særligt i sine første år i embedet ivrigt forsøger at manifestere Kina som en global kulturmagt. Koste hvad det vil. Og bekosteligt, det er Xi Jinping's fodboldplan da også. For trods alle de historiske forsøg for diverse statsoverhoveder på at udnytte fodboldens forførende kraft, ja så har Xi Jinping's og Kinas fodboldplan næppe set sin mage. His master plan will aim to have 50 million Chinese citizens playing football by 2020. China will build or renovate 6000 stadiums and pitches and 50000 schools specializing in football will be established within the next 10 years. Og som det oftest er tilfældet i Kina, hvor nationens private virksomheder altid er på jagt efter både billige og dyre point i præsidentens bog. Jeg så støttede en lang række selskaber op om Kommunistpartiets politiske ambitioner og startede den transferros, som årene nok mest er kendt for her i Vesten. 
får med sprit nye penge i ryggen fra milliardkoncernen Suning, køber Chinese Super League-klubben Jiangshu et brasiliansk håb, og det er angiveligt for næsen af Liverpool. Jiangshu may only be a humble football team in the Chinese Super League, but the club supporters have been arriving in droves to catch a glimpse of the new star of the team, Alex Teixeira. Og dertil, ja, der lander Carlos Tevez i Shanghai, hvor han kan kalde sig verdens bedst lønnede fodboldspiller, men hyrer på mere end 5 millioner kroner om ugen, og så investerer ejendomsgiganten Evergrande milliarder i den klub, man har valgt at opkalde efter sig selv, nemlig Guangzhou. Evergrande. A statement of intent from China as Guangzhou Evergrande smashed the Chinese Super League transfer record on Tuesday with the arrival of Jackson Martinez. Og så begynder koncernerne til med at orientere sig imod Europas klubber. Ejendomskoncernen Wanda køber sig ind i Atletico Madrid og så overtager Suning kontrollen i Inter. They perceived it to be that the government was happy to back anything which was could possibly be related to advancing Chinese football so they jumped into bed with a lot of European clubs. De private selskaber reagerer altså prompte på landets reformplan. Nok for at sikre sig det man på kinesisk kalder guanxi, altså det vil sige gode forbindelser til magthaverne. Og det er særligt de store transfers der skaber hype om kinesisk fodbold. We certainly got a lot of attention when the big when the big signings came. I mean the league was league games were they were on Sky TV and back in the UK and on I guess on other European channels there was a lot of attention and the the TV value the actual value of TV rights for this CSL went up a lot I don't know the exact figures but there was it got to the point where they could have been making money had they not been spending ridiculously astronomical sum on on signings men mest af alt begynder kineserne at ændre opfattelse The biggest achievement was that they made Chinese people take their own league more seriously. It brought prestige to it, and it did increase the quality to some extent. But sometimes the gulf in quality between the superstars and the local players was too much, so that it really wasn't. At the end of the day, the football effect was diminished because the players were not necessarily able to play together as a team as well as. They might if they were play if, if all the players' ability was more equal, but it always looked unsustainable. And the thing is, I mean, I've been in China for 16 years watching Chinese football all that time. And the one thing I learned about China, Chinese football in general, is that it's not a stable. There's regularly been twists and turns in terms of the direction of development. A twist and turns var netop hvad de kinesiske klubber måtte forholde sig til. I 2017, som er året det næste kapitel om kinesisk fodbold, skal dateres til. For efter et par år med uhemmet handel, beslutter de kinesiske sportsmyndigheder sig nemlig for at regulere det vilde fodboldmarked ved at indføre en skat på transfers og senere et lønloft, der mere end umuliggør handler i TV's klassen. There was some sense that the Chinese football world and the Chinese government could see that The world, the football world in general, was kind of laughing at China for spending all this money on big name players and not really having any positive outcome. In China, everything is measured by the success of the men's national team in Chinese football. So after a few years, they bring all these big players in on crazy money and they hope that it will raise the standard of the league. It will 
they it will rub off on the Chinese players, but it didn't. And in the end, they saw that this was unsustainable. And crucially, they also felt that we're spending millions and millions and millions on signing foreign players, but we're not that money should be better spent on developing our own players. So that's was the basic idea behind these new rules. Og endnu mere grundlæggende, så er bevæggrunden bag de nye regulativer nok i virkeligheden det politiske kursskifte, som Xi Jinping begynder på i de her år. For hvor præsidenten i den første tid i sit embede fokuserer på at fremvise Kinas økonomiske og nyvundne kulturelle muskler til omverdenen, ja, så retter han nu blikket indad og fokuserer særligt på de stadig større skævheder i det kinesiske samfund, der rangerer som et af verdens mest ulige. In terms of income inequality, China has become the most unequal country in Asia and one of the most unequal countries in the world. Og med den ambition af Carlos Tavis og de andre usandsynligt rige stjerner i Chinese Super League, ikke længere synderligt gode symboler. For det lyder jo noget tomt at ville nedbringe afstanden fra rig til fattig, hvis landets fodboldklubber på præsidentens indirekte opfordring samtidig gør udenlandske stjerner til kapitalstærke kulturkonger. This is the thing, I mean, whatever happens at the top in China, it trickles down to everything. So football, football does not exist in a bubble anywhere, but in Europe, football is relatively independent. I mean, they can basically, FAs and clubs can do what they like within the law. But in China, it's much different. It's like the government changes the policy at the top. Everyone, not is like a domino effect. It will, it will affect everything else. Så i stedet sættes alt nu ind på at udvikle de kinesiske spillere i ligaen og ikke mindst på landets børn. With turreted buildings and sprawling grounds, it emerges from the Chinese countryside. A kingdom built in just 11 months. The world's largest school dedicated to soccer. Man bygger tusindvis af talentskoler, henter udenlandske trænere fra blandt andet Barcelona til akademierne og gør fodbold til obligatorisk stof på skoleskemaerne. Altså er det nu rigets egen befolkning, der skal få Xi Jinping's fodbolddrøm til at gå i opfyldelse. Men skruer vi der tiden frem og lander i nutiden. Ja, så ser perspektiverne alligevel knap så lyse ud. For i slutningen af januar, der missede Kina nemlig kvalifikationen til VM i Katar efter nederlag til Japan og Vietnam. Og lige nu befinder den nationale liga sig til med i et økonomisk moras. Det nyeste eksempel på den udvikling er, at Evergrande, altså firmaet bag de mange dobbelte mestre fra Guangzhou, i efteråret opgav at bygge Kinas fremmeste fodboldmonument. Og det er endda midtvejs i byggeprocessen. Guangzhou Evergrande will break ground as the world's largest soccer stadium. Men det bedste eksempel er nok alligevel, at klubben Jiangsu med Alex Teixeira i folden bare få måneder efter at have fejret sit første mesterskab i efteråret 2020, måtte komme med en ganske bemærkelsesværdig udmelding. Jiangsu FC was one of the big names in Chinese soccer and the reigning champion. But now the country's top league has been thrown into turmoil by news that the club will immediately cease operations. And Suning, they wanted to sell the club, but they couldn't find a buyer. So they just basically ended up winding it up. 
that was pretty disastrous because this club had actually won the title for the first time just a few months previous to this. And it's just really embarrassing for the game because I mean, what kind of league has its champions go bust because their owners don't want to put money in, into them anymore? I mean, if it, you just, <laughs> I just, I just, I just can't think of any football parallel where a team wins, team wins the league, and then the owners just decide they can't be bothered anymore, and no one wants to buy them. Balladen skyldes naturligvis, at coronakrisen har ramt Kinas store private virksomheder ganske hårdt. Så blandt andet verdens mest forgældede virksomhed, Evergrande, nu har noget sværere ved at kaste milliarder efter fodbolden. Debts that have fueled China Evergrande's growth expansion over the past years are now biting back to threaten its existence. Nøjagtigt som det også er tilfældet hos detaljkæden Suning, der blandt andet er blevet så rige på at sælge mursten og mørtel under Kinas byggeboom men i 2021 tabt summer i milliardklassen. Men måske årsagen til ulykken i endnu højere grad er, at professionel fodbold ikke længere nyder den samme politiske status for præsidenten og dermed heller ikke for landets private virksomheder. When the government introduced the rules about salary caps, it also coincided with a general realization that there wasn't as much political capital to be gained by supporting football. So all the big companies start to think, well, there's no reason for us to put millions and millions into the game, into these clubs, if we're not going to get any advantage from it. So they started to withdraw the money. For en tid, hvor præsidenten har understreget sit nationale fokus, har tordnet mod landets rige virksomhedsejere, og ikke mindst genintroduceret formand Maves gamle slogan om fælles velstand. Common prosperity. It's the new buzz phrase in Beijing. Ja, der er milliardinvesteringer i professionelle fodboldspillere ikke længere måden at imponere Xi Jinping. Jiangsu was not alone. More than 20 clubs have been kicked out of China's professional football leagues in the past two years because of financial problems. I dag er professionel fodbold nærmest blevet til inkarnationen på alt det Xi Jinping har sat sig for at bekæmpe. Altså individers voldsomme grådighed, skyhøje lønninger og desuden også rygter om korruption og lyssky-handler på bestyrelsesgangene. Og det er jo naturligvis ganske bemærkelsesværdigt, når Xi Jinping med sin store fodboldplan selv var med til at skubbe på udviklingen. President Xi's love of football was apparent during his visit to Britain last year famously posing with Manchester City's Sergio Aguero for a selfie. Men dermed er historien om Kinas fodboldeventyr vist også historien om dynamikkerne i det politiske Kina. Her er et hvert spil, et magtspil. Og det er vist kun Xi Jinping, der kan være sikker på at trække sig sejrigt ud på den lange bane. Og så alligevel, for det kan jo være, at vi om en generation eller to vil se et selvopoffrende og solidarisk landshold vokse ud af de mange fodboldfabrikker, hvor børnene fortsat træner i dag. Altså et landshold skabt i præsidentens billede, men til gavn for hele nationen. At det bliver tilfældet, er Cameron Wilson dog knap så overbevist om. The root, root, root problem in China is that China's economy is good. China has developed a lot. People have got more disposable income. People got more money, but they don't have more time. 
there's so much pressure in modern society that there's not really much time given to leisure. And in Europe, we, we do it because we love it. We play football because we love football. And we go and watch a local team wherever they are because we love it, because we like to do it. But here, there's just, there's just there's too much pressure. There's no time to do that. And there's not, there's not a culture of, of just playing or watching football for the love of it. It just doesn't exist. Um, oh, it does, but it's very small and it's only in pockets. And it's not the way Chinese society is structured, the way the economy is and the way the country is run. There's no room to breathe for football culture. So it doesn't matter how many academies are built. You need to have the raw kids on the street or in their back gardens with their mum or their dad playing football. Det var Depeche for denne gang. Min gæst var Cameron Wilson. Jeg hedder som sagt Jeppe Højberg Sørensen, og til udsendelsen brugte jeg klip fra BBC News, France 24 English, CTV News, CGTN Sports, Bloomberg, Reuters, CNN Insider, TechWave og New China TV. Udsendelsen, du lige har hørt, var produceret af Jeppe Højberg Sørensen og udgivet i samarbejde med Mediano. Tak fordi du lyttede med. Thank you.